What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Missing Persons. back everybody and welcome to the new listeners to another episode of speaking of missing persons sarah's going to be telling our story this week but before we get into that a little bit of business we have two other shows make sure you check those out speaking of murders and speaking of hauntings if you want to see photos associated with today's case check out our instagram at missing murdered haunted we also have a facebook missing murdered haunted podcast and go check out our patreon Patreon.com slash Missing Murdered Haunted, where you can get our bonus episodes and all of our regular episodes completely ad-free. And uh, for those of you paying attention out there in listener land, yeah, our first podcast, it, it changed names. It was Speaking of Murder. Now it's Speaking of Murders. So all of that said, Sarah, tell us about a missing person. I'd love to, Bob. So today we're going to start out in San Antonio, Texas. Down in San Antonio. On June 10th, 1994. Okay. When a 13-year-old boy named Nicholas left his house and walked to the basketball courts that were about a mile and a half away. He went to play basketball with his friends and was there until around sunset when his friends started leaving like one by one okay and i'm gonna say right now there's a documentary about this case on netflix it's called the imposter i think i've actually seen i haven't watched it but i think i've seen that when i was scrolling through yeah i was gonna say same i haven't watched it but because this story is about a boy named nicholas barkley and he kind of gets pushed in the shadows because of what happens. Okay. Well, when all of his friends had left the basketball court, he walked to a nearby payphone and called his house where his 24-year-old brother Jason answered the phone. He wanted his brother to come pick him up because he didn't want to walk back home, yeah. even though he had walked there. A mile and a half is a, it's a long walk. Yeah. Well, his brother ended up yelling at him for calling because their mother, Beverly, was asleep because she worked the graveyard shift. Some, some articles I read said at a convenience store and other articles said it was at a Dunkin' Donuts. But either way, she worked overnights and she worked seven days a week, seven nights a week. Oh, wow. Yikes. So, his so I wonder if she possibly worked both. Maybe. But his brother yelled at him for calling when he knew their mom would be sleeping and also was like, no, I'm not coming to pick you up because starting the car in the garage is also going to wake mom up. You can just walk home. I mean. (laughs) This would be something 
that he would come to regret because it was the last time anyone spoke to Nicholas. At first, Beverly and Jason didn't really think anything of it, though, because Nicholas was known to run away. But usually he would only stay gone for a couple days, and he always took clothes, and he always took cash from the house. It made it seem like he would steal it, and then he would just go where he, wherever he went for a couple days and then show back up and beg to be let back in. And he was how old again? 13. Sorry. 13. Okay. But yeah, as a 13-year-old, he was quite difficult for Beverly to handle. And that is why Jason was living with them, is because she needed help controlling him. He was out of control. He already had tattoos, a juvenile record that included threatening his teachers, breaking and entering, stealing shoes, truancy. He's rough. Okay. He was also due to appear in court on the 14th of June for the stealing the shoes charges against him. And the judge, it was said that the judge was, like, trying to decide if he should be sent to a group home because his mom was having such a hard time controlling him. So people believed that that might be why he left at first is because he didn't want to go live in a group home. And this was only, like, four days before that court date. Right. Well, he... Like I said, she reported him missing three days after he was gone because he usually always showed up within 48 hours. So that would have been the day before the court date is when she reported him? Yes. The San Antonio police, however, did not take her seriously because of his other runaway attempts and how many times they had actually been to the Barkley home. For other reasons. I would still think that they would take it a little seriously because at that point he's already been gone for three days. And that goes well past their, you know, give it 24 hours crap that they used to do. Right. Yeah, but it's possible if he did it regularly, then that means that she probably called him in missing more than one time. She had. But they had also been to this house because of the fact that both Beverly and Jason were recovering addicts. Beverly, what her drug of choice was heroin. Yeah. And Jason's drug of choice was cocaine. Dear Lord. And Jason was known to be very violent when he relapsed. And that's the older brother, right? Yes. And so cops had been to this house because of fights, drugs, and all the other issues that were going on with Nicholas. Well, no wonder he was a runaway and would disappear for days on on end. I would probably want to escape that bullshit, too. Well, cops also thought that he would be hard to miss because on the day he, like, went to play basketball, he was wearing a white t-shirt, purple pants... And carrying a bright pink backpack, you know, the 90s retro. Right. Right. So they thought, like, who would miss him if they saw him in public? Somebody would call and say they saw him. 
because they classified him as a runaway and didn't like take it too seriously, his story didn't even make the local news. Police did ask around, but they didn't like do a full-fledged search for him. The days turned into weeks, which turned into months, and in September, Jason called the police claiming that he saw Nicholas trying to break into their garage, but when police arrived, they found no one or any evidence that anybody was trying to break in. Well, as time passed, Jason was unable to handle the guilt of being the last person to speak to him and telling him to walk, so he relapsed. And shortly after that, so did Beverly. She just couldn't cope with, like, losing her youngest son because she had three kids. I'm a, she had Jason and a daughter named Carrie that were way older than Nicholas from a previous relationship. And then Nicholas was her last child. So they, she thought that Jason and Carrie could, like, get Nicholas to calm down and whatever, but it didn't work. Years passed with no sign of him, and they had pretty much given up all hope of ever finding him alive. Until three years later, in October of 1997, when San Antonio police received a call from the authorities in Spain. In Spain? The country Spain? Spain, yes. Not like... Some weird little town in some say just not no Spain, like Kansas. actual Spain, like Spain. Okay. All right. They had found a young man wandering the streets, distraught. He barely seemed to know who he was, so they took him to a youth shelter, where he finally told them his name was Nicholas Barclay. And that he was from Texas. He claimed he was abducted by people in the military and sold into sex slavery to the English military and had only escaped because one of the guards left a door unlocked. The fuck? He claimed he had been kidnapped and tra- trafficked like all the, like completely across the Atlantic. And... Smith's face is killing me right now. So the San Antonio police got in contact with Carrie, his oldest sister, and she actually called the hostel where he was taken to, and she believed this really was her brother. So she was the one who traveled to Spain to meet him and see if this really was Nicholas. And this happened in the second week of October of 97. When she arrived in Spain, the authorities warned her that Nicholas was very traumatized and to go slow with him. I mean, yeah, if that really did happen, then uh, trauma would probably be the only thing that happened to him. At first, he locked himself in the bathroom and refused to come out. His behavior was erratic and evasive. To her, he looked older, but 
she had no doubt that it was her brother because it had been three years. So, of course, he would look older. Yeah, because at that point, he'd be 16. Right. 17? 16. He was 13 when he disappeared. It's oh, been three yeah. years. You're right. I got the the year mixed up. Oh. Once he was calmer, they sat down together and she showed him pictures from their childhood. Nicholas just stayed quiet and seemed to retreat into himself. And, but after a few hours, he did ask her if their grandfather was still an asshole, which made her believe even more that this was her brother. So later that night, she called the rest of the family and told them that it was definitely Nicholas and she would be bringing him home. Which they did, she did the very next day. They left Spain. When they arrived in San Antonio, Beverly was beyond happy to see him. She was like waiting at the airport for him. But at this point, she was living in a like a one room studio apartment. So she didn't have anywhere to take him back in. So he was going to go stay with Carrie temporarily and share a room with one of Carrie's sons. And they had, like, set his half of the room up with, like, a bed and, like, all of his old stuff that they had saved for him to try to make him feel comfortable. They realized he was different, and he spoke in a heavy French accent. And when asked about it, he claimed that his captives would beat him, sexually assault him, and would punish him severely if he spoke English. So he had developed this accent because he had spent a lot of time in France. He also said he was subjected to sadistic medical experiments, one that changed his eyes from blue to brown. Because Nicholas's eyes were originally blue, but now they were brown. And another that changed his hair from a blondish brown to just completely brown. And you said that there was no, like, pictures or anything of him in even the local news? No. There was a missing persons flyer, but... Okay. It didn't say where that was released. I'm super skeptical. Same, that's why I asked. Well, at the time, his hair was actually bleached. So it was bleach blonde when they had went to Spain to get him. But they could, it was like starting to grow back. So they could see that his hair was like brown underneath that bleach. Nicholas was assigned a psychiatrist because... He had begun to self-harm and seemed to have extreme emotional problems while with Carrie. But a month after his return, he had made new friends, had a crush on this girl, and had dedicated himself to his schoolwork. He even attended church with the family, things he had never done before. I mean, that could just be trauma, though. I don't know. Something just doesn't feel right. Well, no, but at the same time, trauma could trigger all of these things. I understand that. In that month, the TV show Hard Copy, do you remember that show? Yes. Yeah. Bobby's like, no. No. I know Shauna (laughs) doesn't remember. Well, they reached out and wanted to do an episode about his story and... 
The producer went so far as to even hire a private investigator named Charlie Parker to track Nicholas down. News crews showed up at Carrie's house, but she turned them away, wanting to protect Nicholas. But he wanted to do the interview with hard copy. Well, Parker, the PI, stayed while the interview was taking place, and something about it seemed weird to him. The French accent being the big one. And he tried to tell himself trauma could do crazy things to a person, but it struck him as strange that he couldn't return to his Texas accent at all. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, hear me out. I can't go back to my country accent if I tried. Yeah, but you didn't live there very long. Seven years is long enough to pick up an accent, have an accent. But you were still in developmental stages when you were moved away from there. So is 13. We're going to get into it. Well, I would be more concerned with the eye color change and hair color change. Right. Without (laughs) some pretty intense like gene therapy. And even then, I don't think you can change someone's eye color. Well, we're going to get into it. Because this private investigator noticed that there was a picture of the younger Nicholas sitting on the table next to this Nicholas. And he just couldn't wrap his mind around those things. Like how different he looked. The eye color, the hair color. Like he looked much older than what he should look for a 16 year old. So he asked one of the cameramen that was actually taking still photos to zoom in as close as possible on the picture on the table, like of the ears on the younger Nicholas. So the cameraman was like, okay, and did that. Well, then Parker took them back to his office and loaded those photos into his computer and put the like next to a still frame from the interview of the new Nicholas and like zoomed in on the ears and they were completely not a match which he knew as a private investigator that the ears are one part of your body that don't age right they don't change so him being three years older wouldn't account for the ears being completely different. So at the same time, the psychiatrist that was seeing Nicholas was having the same issues. Like he just couldn't understand. He was focusing more on the accent part. Like he couldn't understand it because even if he, Nicholas was asked to speak, in a Texas draw, he couldn't, not even if he tried. And the psychiatrist knew that Nicholas would not have lost that ability right? after spending the first 13 years of his life talking that way, which was proven when Parker took this information to a dialect expert at Trinity University, and he said, no, like, he should be able to immediately go back to it if he wanted to just because that's how he spent the first 13 years of his life 
Yeah, isn't it called like code switching or something like that? Yeah. At this point, Parker started following Nicholas around. So because he he believed he was a terrorist that had pretended to be Nicholas just to get into America to do something bad in the United States. And she he had tried to confront Beverly about this numerous times and she refused to believe this was not her son. She just kept saying that it was the trauma that he had experienced that was causing his issues. I I could I I don't blame her. But Parker wasn't having it. He took his concerns to the FBI. And the psychiatrist did the same thing. So at this point, Nicholas stopped going to school. He stole Carrie's car. He went on a joyride to Oklahoma where he was pulled over and they immediately brought him back to Carrie's house. After that, he was found in the bathroom cutting his own face. So Carrie had him committed to a psych ward for a few days, but took him back as soon as he was released. Because no matter what anybody was saying to the family, they stood behind him and said, no, this is Nicholas. Well, the FBI decided to send agent Nancy Fisher to re-interview Nicholas after the reports from Parker and the psychiatrist because his crazy story just wasn't adding up to them. Right. Like this whole government conspiracy crap. Like you were kidnapped by the military and whatever just wasn't adding up. Fisher asked permission from Beverly to conduct a DNA test, but Beverly refused. She thought they just wanted to take her son away again. And she also was weary about giving her own blood to compare the DNA to because of her drug history. So she just flat out was like, no, we're not doing a DNA test. I believe this is my son. But Agent Fisher decided she was going to get a warrant in February of 1998 for the blood samples and fingerprints because they wanted to compare his fingerprints also. Yeah, because if he was in the system, they had fingerprints from 13-year-old Nicholas. Right, because he had been arrested multiple times. Yeah. At the same time, though, Parker had arranged a meeting with Nicholas at a diner to have breakfast. And... Parker told him, like, hey, I'm really sorry about upsetting your mother by thinking you're not who you say you are. And Nicholas's response to this was, she's not my mother and you know it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Parker then asked him who he really was and he answered, I'm Frederick Borden and I'm wanted by Interpol. Of course, that Frederick is more in a French accent that I don't have, so don't come for me. Because <laughs> just pronouncing it like we do in America. Because it's spelled exactly the same. Just doesn't have the asterisk or whatever they're called above the E's. 
Anyway, he admitted that was his name and he was wanted by Interpol. All of this was proven to be true by the FBI when the DNA came back and the fingerprints. And the family could no longer live in denial. So this Borden character was actually 24 years old. And he was from originally from France. He had been lying to the family for four months. So that they had been believing this for the past four months. Borden was known as the chameleon to Interpol. That's what his code name was, is the chameleon. He was not a terrorist. He was just a weird and lonely dude. He had been living his life as a con man, impersonating, like, kids all across Europe. But not necessarily, at first, missing kids. He would just claim to be a missing kid, if that makes sense. He wouldn't, like, specifically say one. He would just say, I'm a missing kid. I'm orphaned, kind of a deal. He did this in Belgium, Spain, Bosnia, Germany, Ireland, England, Italy, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Portugal, Austria, Slovakia, Denmark, Sweden, and France. Okay. (laughs) He was a busy guy. And it wasn't about money, either. He just wanted attention? Yes, it was an emotional thing. He just wanted attention. Did he not have a good family? So when he was growing up, he was an outcast. And his father left the family when he was young. So he started creating this fantasy life for himself to get attention. And as a teenager, he started traveling to other towns pretending to be a lost child. And he would do this to see how far he could take it before he would get caught or forced to confess. This became harder and harder as he became an adult, especially since he didn't really look young. But he figured out that the right clothes and using a high-pitched voice, he could usually pass between, for a boy, between the ages of 13 to 15. So pretty soon, this was a full-blown lifestyle, and he just got better and better at it. He would call the authorities in whatever town he was in and tell them that he saw a kid wandering around town, and when they showed up, the kid would be him, freshly shaven, crying, and pretending to be lost and scared. Later, when he was more confident, he would actually research cases of missing children and pretend to be them, and he spent his life moving between juvenile care facilities and hostels all over Europe, not really having to pay for it because the authorities would take him there to try to find who he belonged to. It makes sense why Interpol would want him because he's been doing this in all these different countries. Exactly. Well, when he tried this trick in 1997 in Spain... With the whole, it didn't start out as him claiming to be Nicholas. So by this point, Interpol had 
told any youth organization and authorities all over Europe to be looking for this 24-year-old that was pretending to be a 13 to 15-year-old. So people were on the lookout for him. And when he got to Spain and tried to pull this trick, they were like, "Mm, I don't think so. So we're going to sit here and ask you a million questions. Okay. Well, he tried to run away from the hostile youth home that they had taken him to, to be questioned, but was like immediately caught before he even made it out of the building. And so to him, he had like his back up against the wall. He didn't know what to do. He's like, what the fuck do I do? I don't want to go to jail. So he thinks in his mind, like, if I pretend I'm from America, he had a better chance of being believed because he knew that the judge wouldn't want to upset the American embassy. So he snuck out of his room, went to the office of this youth hostel, and called the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in Virginia. He pretended to be the director of the shelter and in his best Spanish accent, said that they had a young American boy that would not reveal his identity, but spoke English like an American. And he gave them a, like, vague description of himself. So not realizing it, this hotline operator unknowingly helped him pick his victim, his new identity, I should say, When she ran the information through the database and Nicholas Barkley came up as a match for this vague description of a missing person. So then Borden asked the operator to fax him the missing persons flyer of Nicholas and to also send it overnight through the mail. And he told her he wanted to compare it to the to the boy, to Nicholas. But really, he just needed the information, like what color hair he had, all of that nonsense. But when he received the facts, it was in black and white. So just looking at Nicholas's face, he was like, oh, I can pull this off. So he called the hotline back and was like, yes, that's who we have here is Nicholas. But then the next morning when this the letter came in the mail, it was in color. And he even realized I don't really look a whole lot like this kid now that I'm seeing him in color. But we'll get to that in a second. He has blonde hair and blue eyes. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a minute. When he got off the phone with this operator from the Missing and Exploited Children hotline, he, she had given him the phone number to the San Antonio Police Department while they were on the phone. So he immediately calls the San Antonio Police and pretends to be a Spanish cop and convinced them that he they had found Nicholas. So when the San Antonio police had originally got this phone call, it was from Borden. It wasn't from actual Spanish authorities. Well, news spread to the FBI at this time in the U.S. Embassy in Madrid And he realized just how unprepared he was when he got that colored poster in the mail because of the blondish brown hair, 
the blue eyes, and the fact that Nicholas was already heavily tattooed. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I forgot about that completely. Oh, boy. The thing was, though, the only tattoo he had that was visible was he had a letter T in between his right index finger and thumb, like on that skin right there. I have one of those. Yeah, but you don't have a letter T. But yes, you have a tattoo like that. I do. So he thought, okay, I just have to color my hair and I have to figure out a way to give myself this tattoo that's actually visible before this sister comes to Spain, right? Well, he also decided at this time he was going to come up with the government conspiracy and the sexual abuse and the experiments to try to explain away some of the things that he couldn't change, like his eye color, or the fact that when his hair grows back out, it's not going to be blonde, it's going to be brown. And he, like, just hoped that no one would see him without clothes so they wouldn't realize he didn't have any of the tattoos that Nicholas actually had. Well, he gathered as much information as he could about Nicholas from Carrie when she came to Spain. And by like playing this like, oh, I'm just so traumatized and sad. So she just kept sitting there talking to him and feeding him information. Right. The and pretty much this whole family was like so desperate to have Nicholas back that they overlooked all the differences. They ignored the accent. They ignored the fact that he had no knowledge of any of Nicholas's hobbies. They just wanted their son back is what they were portraying at the time. Now we're going to come to a point where people don't believe that. He could have made this con last a hell of a lot longer if he would not have wanted that attention so badly from the media and wouldn't have done this inter- that interview with hard copy because the family was backing him 100%. So he could have just kept it going. Right. But he didn't really enjoy living with someone else's family. He didn't like the he had never really had to do that since he was a teenager he had been living in hostels and group homes and things where he wasn't actually being parented or watched or things like that this was like his first like oh now I'm reconnected with a family kind of con so he said that it was the stress and the boredom that made him confess to to Parker Parker was like, dude, I knew because anytime you weren't around that family, you let your guard down and you're like, he would literally blast Michael Jackson and dance just like him and things, which were things Nicholas did not do. Right. He didn't seem like the type. Right. After the confession, Parker had called the FBI And then he drove Borden to Beverly's apartment so that he could tell her in person he was lying. And the FBI was, like, waiting there for him. So they took him to jail. Once he was arrested, he did his typical try to come up with some bullshit story to tell the FBI 
to make them believe, you know, he wasn't this bad guy. So his bullshit story was that he actually knew Nicholas and he had met him in Spain, but he and that everything that he said happened was true, except that it happened to the real Nicholas and that he had seen him be killed. So he just wanted to try to make Nicholas's family feel better by, you know, acting like him. That wouldn't make anybody feel better. I'm sure they believed that. But then he just shut up and, like, refused to talk at all. And he was looking at three years in prison, but the judge that was overseeing the case was like, "Mm, nope, I'm going to give you the maximum, which is six years in a U.S. federal prison. Yeah, he done fucked up there. (laughs) Yeah. Because of Borden's actions, he kind of becomes the most talked about part about this story instead of the fact that Nicholas disappeared. He just vanished and nobody saw anything. And people, they're like, okay, so one theory is, yes, he just ran away and didn't want to face his judge hearing and didn't want to deal with his mom and his brother anymore and he just left and ran away yeah but i mean i guess but why call your brother in the first place for a ride home exactly if you're just gonna run away unless that pissed him off to the point of like saying fuck you fine then i just ain't coming home again i mean possible i could see that also beverly doesn't believe didn't believe that though She described her son as being fearless and said that he truly believed he was street smart. So she thought that he had hitchhiked with a stranger because he didn't feel like walking and met foul play, thinking that he was big and bad and strong and knew the streets of San Antonio and just got himself in a bad situation. But there's a bigger theory that a lot of people believe. Mostly because of how much Nicholas's family believed Borden. So Borden himself couldn't even believe how easily he had fooled Carrie in Spain. He said it was like she was spoon feeding him the information to become Nicholas. He would later say they didn't, that he knew they didn't believe a word that he said, but they were good at not showing it. He said, I remember in Spain, Carrie did everything for me. When I didn't know something, she would tell me. And he said she would put it, she would tell me in a way where she was trying to get me not to forget. And... He said, if you ask me, she did not believe for a second that I was her brother. She decided that I was going to be her brother. He then claimed that once he was in Texas, anytime he messed up, Carrie and Beverly would blow it off. They would defend him to the death, even when other people in the family were questioning it because he would be so far off from things that had happened to Nicholas. The weirdest part was that Jason was not there when Borden arrived in October of 1997. He did not come to visit until six weeks later. 
and was very standoffish. And Borden said, when he came to see me, he didn't look at me like I was Nicholas. He didn't pretend to look at me like I was Nicholas. And he said, good luck to me when he left. Borden had it in his head that he was part, a part of some weird double bluff situation. To him, Jason and the rest of the family knew what happened to Nicholas and they were going along with the con so no one would start asking them questions. Some people believe that in one of Jason's cocaine-filled rages that he killed Nicholas that night after the basketball court incident or the phone call incident and that Beverly and Carrie helped him keep it a secret because Beverly didn't want to lose two sons and the arrival of Borden helped them keep their secret alive kind of. Borden himself said he was positive that Jason had done something with when it came to Nicholas's disappearance and truly believed he had murdered him. Parker also accused Jason of being involved, even claiming that when he confronted Jason about it, he just stood and stared blankly at him and did not deny it. But days after that, like Parker accused him, Jason died of an overdose. So no one knows if it was an accidental overdose or if it was a suicide overdose. And people knew he had guilt, but it's unsure if it was because he was the one who had told him to walk home when he disappeared or if it was because he had done something to him. But people said that Jason had this overwhelming guilt and just stayed drugged the whole time after. People feel like the claim of Nicholas breaking into the garage is weird as well because FBI and things have said that people who create their own family disappearance, like if it's a family involved, they'll do that. They'll say they saw the person to try to make it look like they're still alive so they don't have suspicion fall back on them, if that makes sense. So that's kind of what the FBI was thinking at this point. like That he called them about the garage thing on purpose. On purpose. To try to make it seem like he had seen Nicholas. Yeah. I mean, that's not the first time we've had that one in one of our stories. Right. I feel like. No. And because of this situation, the FBI looked at the family with more suspicion because they themselves could not understand how Borden could have fooled this family so, like, completely. But, as we know, people's grief and desire to have something so badly, they could have truly just overlooked all the things that made them different. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, I feel like if one of my kids would, went missing, I would want a DNA test right away so I didn't get heartbroken. Right. And people kind of, you know, they couldn't understand it either because they, there was like two fences. So there's like the people that are like, oh, they accepted him 
because they had something to cover up. And then there's this other side of people that are like, why would they do that? They had been getting away with it for three years. So why bring news upon themselves and publicity if they knew they had murdered him or that Jason had murdered him? But at the same time, I feel like Borden was being so convincing to the FBI and the embassy and all these and the Texas police that maybe they felt like, shit, we have to go along with this. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Because we, you know, he's like making such a stink and claiming to be Nicholas that if we are flat out like, no, you're not, they're going to be like, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know he's not Nicholas? But I'm on the fence. I'm like torn in half on which I believe. Yeah, that's a tough call. It's But I will tell you that because because of the such high speculation that Jason could have been been involved in Nicholas's disappearance, they closed the case. Seriously? So it's not it's not an open case anymore. Wow. They're not looking for Nicholas. That's kind of sad though. Yeah. Because even a, even looking for his dead body is still something. Yeah, well, they closed the case once Borden was arrested and, you know, told his side of the story. And a lot of it was believable. Yeah, he's a con man, but at the same time. Holy moly. Oh, and also in case anyone cares, Borden is a free man and lives in France and has a wife and children of his own now. Hopefully he stopped conning people. Well, by all accounts, he did. Well, good for him. You live and you learn. What a strange hobby to have, though. Right? Holy crap. <laughs> of all things to pick up, just like, I'm just going to pretend to be random people. Well, I mean, when you're that, like, starved for attention. I guess so, yeah. People try to steal other yeah. people's identities all the time. Okay, wow. That was a roller coaster of a story. <sighs> Holy crap. Okay, well... Let us know what you think. Hop on our Instagram, at Missing Murdered Haunted. You'll find the photo there. Leave it in the comments there. Or you can go on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Missing Murdered Haunted, and let us know there. Or on the Facebook. We've got a little community started up. Does anyone have anything they want to add in? No. I'm at a loss. Yeah, I can't am too. I'm kind of excited about that. <laughs> All right. Well... Reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Oh, and if you have case suggestions, send those over to our email, missingmurderedhaunted at gmail.com. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. 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 Bye.